Welcome to Fit Food Junkies, Addicted to Health. My name is Emily E, and I'm a certified group fitness instructor and personal trainer. We will not only talk about fitness, nutrition, and business, but also explore how to build a strong mindset, have ultimate motivation, and how to reach your breakthrough in life. Let's start on our health and fitness journey together. Today is a very special episode. I interview Mindy Gorman-Pletzer, a certified functional nutritionist, lifestyle practitioner, and eating psychology coach with over 25 years of experience. She is passionate about helping others recover from eating disorders and create a healthier lifestyle. Her approach to eating disorders tackles the root cause of the issue and emphasizes that how and why you eat is just as important as what you eat. Through her integrative approach, she also looks at the impact disordered eating has on one's daily life, digestion, and hormones. I am so excited today to talk about how to tackle these physical and emotional challenges through an eating disorder. Today we go over how to have a good relationship with food. We're going to go through all the tips, tricks, and hacks to enhance your relationship with food. Even if you don't have an eating disorder, these are skills that are essential for life. I can't even tell you how thrilled I am to not only open up this discussion, but also build a conversation around it and learn how to overcome these really hard adversities that many of us go through in life through our relationship with food. I am so excited to welcome Mindy. Mindy, it is such a great privilege to have you on my podcast today. Welcome. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We had a great conversation the other day, and I really look forward on a very rich one again. Me too, and I couldn't agree more. I love connecting with people that have great energy, and I felt that from you. And I also sense your passion. I'm very passionate about this industry as well. Eating disorders are not talked about as much, and I think a lot of times girls may not or men too, may not know that they have one. And there's a fear of food and people don't know how to live a healthy lifestyle with food. And that doesn't necessarily mean just eating healthy, but also just your relationship that you have while eating food, while thinking about food. And Mindy is not only a functional nutritionist, she's also a lifestyle practitioner and an eating psychology coach of over 25 years of experience. She has so much passion behind it. And that's why I'm so excited to go into everything today and what you're all about. So you tackle eating disorders. Tell me about how you do that. What's what's step one? If I come to you and I need help. All right. Well, you know, it's eating disorders, but I also work with clients who have some very basic challenges with eating. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we could call it disordered eating, uh, you know, clinically disordered eating is characterized by eating disorders to a lesser degree, right? The consequences aren't that dire, the behaviors aren't that extreme. In in my world, what I see, and of course, I want to talk to you about the clients that do come with clinically diagnosed eating disorders, um, but what I see is disordered eating is primarily misguided behavior that is driven by misinformation. And the misinformation creates misguided beliefs about 
one's relationship with food, how one feels about food. You know, my tagline is stop fearing what food will do to you and start embracing what it can do for you. So when a client comes to me, um, usually what presents first is their dissatisfaction about their weight. And they're very aware of their behaviors, but seemingly unable to make the change that they need to make. So my work really starts with story. Everybody has a food story. Everybody has a belief system, a series of expectations, um, messages that morphed into beliefs about food and their relationship to it. So we take that deep dive and how long it takes to do that exploration varies. It could take a few sessions, it could take months. It really all depends on the level of discomfort. Sometimes there's trauma. And my role really is to create and hold a very safe space for everything to unfold. I think people can have addictions in so many negative substances, or it can be even an exercise. It can be in, in so many different things. An eating disorder is, it's almost like an addiction, but you have this adverse feeling toward food. I think, you know, me, myself included, and so many people I know, they feel like they don't have a relationship with food and it's this continuous vicious cycle. But what they haven't done is they haven't looked at the foundations of what's causing this emotionally. Why am I doing this? Like, why am I binging? Why am I eating in the dark? Why am I eating standing up? Why am I regretting after everything that I ate and going into all these fundamental reasons of why you are having such an unhealthy relationship with food in your experience, if someone it doesn't know they have an eating disorder or maybe some sort of a negative relationship with food and they're listening to this. What are some signs that people might be going through some struggles with their relationship with food? Well, you touched on behavior, you know, eating in the dark, eating at the end of the day, um, eating in an effort to numb, avoid or distract situations and feelings mm -hmm. that one might fear to be too difficult or even intolerable. Um, and then there's the person who totally denies hunger and is turning away from food in reaction to an emotionally charged situation or in an effort not to feel the emotion at all. You know, what comes to mind basically is, are you thinking about food all the time? Is food your go-to when you feel you need to self-soothe. And what's really important in my work is to help people understand that you have a right to honor what is painful for you. You have a, a valid need and a birthright to self-soothe, but we can find ways to do it that are not self-sabotaging. You know, mm -hmm. I just had a conversation this morning with a client pointing out that self-care is not self-indulgence. Self-indulgence in an effort to self-soothe is not self-care. And very often it gets conflated because let's say you have a terrible experience, a bad day, a, a difficult confrontation, or you're dealing with thoughts 
and memories that are conjuring up a need to self-soothe, a need to want to check out. So there might be what some people would refer to as self-pity, but thinking in terms of taking care of myself, you know, gee, if I reached for that container of ice cream, I'm really going to feel better. And you will, but that's short-lived. And then there are all the psychological and physical consequences that happen as a result of eating poor quality food and mm. eating while under stress and eating with so much negative self-talk and eating without any awareness. You know, it's it's physiological just as much as it's psycho psychological. Have you seen any commonalities amongst your clients of maybe similar feelings or emotions? My work is so very unique. Right. And everybody is different, you know, and one of the a guiding principle of functional medicine is that everyone is unique mm -hmm. and everything matters and all systems are connected. But what comes up a lot in my practice, particularly because I'm working with women, is putting herself last taking care of other people's needs, needs of her family first um, before her own. So when she finally does sit down and has time to be with herself, it can be very unnerving. Or the woman who, in an effort to be good all day and perhaps restrict because she's following a weight loss plan, is so tired and hungry at the end of the day that one thing leads to another. And before she knows it, she's eating past the point of being full mm. and that can lead to binge behavior. And that's really interesting how, I mean, you just said, make yourself a priority. Like you wouldn't think there would be such a translation amongst that. But I think there's this feeling where you're giving so much energy to everyone else. And you, maybe someone says yes to everything, but never yes to themselves and never saying no to other people, not making themselves a priority. And then that energy, your energy is going to be drained and drained and drained. And until you feel like you got to get that energy back into yourself, your soul, into your being, sometimes food is that only idea that people have to be able to suffice that and get their energy back. And like you said, it is short term. So Speaking on making yourself a priority, what are a couple of things that people can do to start saying yes to themselves and making themselves a priority? It's very hard to do that until you learn to connect to the wisdom of your body, hmm. to listen to the symptoms that are messages calling for your attention. So the first thing that comes to mind is if you're tired, what is your sleep hygiene like? Are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? When you are eating, how are you eating? Are you slowing down? Are you bringing stress with you to the table? Are you eating in a way that you are able to experience the food you're eating? I don't even want to throw out the, the term mindful eating because it casts a very wide umbrella. But, you know, being there with your food, chewing it really well experiencing the meal, paying attention to the taste, the temperature, the texture, all of those things help you to be in the flow, get you into that rest and digest state where you really absorb, assimilate and metabolize the food that you're eating. And when you're in that 
parasympathetic rest and digest state. You're in a rest and heal state. Everything is in the flow and your, your organs are functioning. Your, your thoughts are where they need to be. So that is a, you know, one of the first things that I address with my clients when we look at who they are as eaters. How are they eating? A biggie is why are they eating, which I really want to speak to. And when are they eating? And when you address those three issues, how, why, and when, the what stops being so hard. And it becomes easier to make in choices that are empowering, to put you in a mindset of abundance, taking you out of that mindset of scarcity. But I, you know, I wanted to address the why. What people need to remember is our very first experience with feeling safe, being nurtured, being seen, is has to do with being fit, right? Where we we experience the whole birth experience and we're wrapped in warmth and we are handed over to the person responsible for our care and feeding. The brain remembers, eat, feel better, eat, feel safe. There's no ego, there's no sense of autonomy. As life starts to take over and we develop that sense of self, we can tell the difference if we're safe or not, if we feel seen or not, how nurtured we feel, how nourished we feel by things other than food. The brain remembers, eat, feel better. So now we grow up and we have situations that are uncomfortable big trauma, little trauma, situations perhaps where we don't feel safe, we don't feel seen, we don't feel secure, we don't feel we belong, it's very easy to turn to food. So it's very important to acknowledge that, helps you understand the context within which these behaviors evolve. And we can then make alternative choices for ourselves based on what's really going on. How am I feeling? Am I hungry? because I didn't eat enough during the day? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Am I bored? Am I stressed? And then we can determine and decide what would be the best empowered choice for us, listening to the wisdom of our bodies. And, and that's something that's really, really important because as practitioners, as people who are turned to for guidance and everyone wants to know what should I eat we have to remember first that we're dealing with food with people people that have a food story then we're dealing with food and lifestyle choices and it's so interesting too how you have a metaphor essentially of doing a body scan and, and even kind of like a mind scan too of like how am I feeling today like what you said am I bored am I tired taking a few moments to be alone, which I think is so important that not enough of us do, whether it's going on a walk for a second and letting your mind think without any different distractions or even eating without distractions. I think in those states, when you want to binge, when you're feeling so anxious and there's so much emotion inside, it's hard in that specific moment to say, I'm going to do a body scan. I'm going to go on a walk. In those states, when people have a loss of control, how can they take themselves back into a sense of feeling like they can control the situation and not fall into these habits? 
Well, I, I to always recommend that a situation like that can be a huge learning curve, right? Every relapse can bring with it a lesson. The hardest thing to do is to initiate that pause, right? What am I feeling? What am I feeling? What am I not feeling? What is it that I don't want to feel? And sometimes what's going on is truly painful and the body is protecting us in such a way by not letting us feel. But we have to remember that we always have a choice. We can take that walk. We can call a friend. We can take a warm bath or a hot shower. We can do something, set a plan in motion and be proactive to know that when I have these feelings, this is what I need to do. Going off of that, it's important to have a relationship with yourself kind of every day. Like, it's okay. Like, I got this. Or even if it's sometimes words you don't believe, I think just trying to talk to yourself through those really hard times. Yeah, but that's really hard for someone to do who has such a low sense of self. Right. And, right. And, and the work has to be around helping our clients understand that that's just not their truth right? The story will always be their story, but they can turn the page on the parts that are no longer serving them and begin to write what, as I say, can become their happily ever after, right? We need to start by teaching that our clients can and deserve to create the life they want. What are three habits for people to feel a higher self or higher self-esteem for themselves that they can do every day? The first thing is to connect to themselves, right? Recovery from anything is very relational. And our relationship with ourselves is reflected in our relationship with everything else. So the first habit is to establish awareness. The second is to invite in curiosity. And then I always like to suggest a gratitude list. And I like to take it even further, a safety list. Where do I feel safe today? Where can I feel safe today? Because very often, if we're turning to or away from food, it's in an effort to feel safe. By acknowledging that there is safety in the environment that we're choosing to surround ourselves in, we can presence ourselves. And it takes work. It does take work. It takes time. It takes patience. Um, Very often, it takes support, right? Healing doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the understanding that there can never be healing without discomfort. When life gets really hard, if you want to reverse anything that you're going through and transform, really be able to grow and get out of any adversity, you have to feel discomfort in your life. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid to tap into. How can people do that and kind of be the bigger person within themselves to seek help and seek this discomfort? It starts with willingness. You have to be willing and you have to be willing to look at what you believe to be your truth and be willing to let parts of it go. And for some people, it takes them being in so much pain that they are just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's what I hear most. 
I, I cannot do this anymore. And then we talk about resilience, right? Resilience, the ability to come back stronger, the ability to believe in yourself. Again, I'm going to go back to self-worth. It's, it's how we source our self-worth. And if there is very little self-worth, why is that? And look at how that evolved and look at how there's so little truth in that because we're all born with a birthright to be extraordinary. So what happened along the way that stole that from you? Recovery is to regain what was lost or taken. My recovery is not about weight management. It's not about food groups. It's very nuanced and it's very bio-individual. So what was taken from you that you can rightfully claim? And there's a huge difference between doing recovery and being recovered. Doing recovery, showing up for your appointments with your team, maybe... If there's weight involved, you're going for weigh-ins, you're going to the medical doctor for vital checks, you're showing up to your coach or your therapist, you're following a meal plan. But are you addressing what you're really hungry for? Are you addressing what's feeding your anxiety? When you do those things, you can become recovered. Through this recovery process, what if someone doesn't know the reasons why they're binging, why they're eating. You're saying you have to ask those questions about your self-worth and do you feel safe? But what would be, I guess, your main question or a few to ask someone that's trying to figure out like, what's my underlying reason and emotion for causing, you know, such a difficult relationship in the kitchen and with food with themselves? Well, we have to back it up. So it starts with where is the reward in this behavior? Mm -hmm. Rather than asking somebody what, where is the resistance and stopping it? Where is the reward? How is this behavior serving you? Remember, eating disorders, disordered eating, it's not the problem. It started out as a solution, a solution to not feeling safe, not feeling seen, sometimes not wanting to be seen, wanting to disappear. So how is this behavior serving you? And then we take a deep dive into that. And that takes us back to story. And that takes us into the context within which the behaviors evolved. And because it's so bio-individual, it's hard to answer your question specifically. Of course, of course. Everybody is going to have a different food story, right? And food story is personal and food story is cultural. And I love how you kept saying the word why. It's a story. You have to keep going more and more in depth. Keep asking those questions, like you said, why, when, how. And I think you'll be able to discover more of the root within your struggles. Yeah. And then, you know, there's there's a person's relationship with deprivation, the person's relationship with needing to feel needed. And as I said, safe. You know, I, I think about a client of mine who um, is a woman in her late 50s who raised three amazing children, adults now, um, and she gave up a thriving law career in order to do that. And um, through the involvement of her children's lives, a couple of them have some health issues and that required 
certain food to be kept out of the house and brought into the house. And so she's dealing with feeling deprived of her career, wanting things for herself now that her children are grown and out of the house, wanting to eat everything she couldn't bring into the house because of her children's needs. So my question to her very often is, who's doing the eating? Is it the petulant child? Is it the rebellious teen? Or can you identify with the woman who wants to create the life she wants and be the best version of herself? Mm. So, you know, as I said, everybody has a food story that impacts their behavior with food, their behavior with themselves. And it's important to ask those questions. I say awareness followed by curiosity, always compassion. And then there's acceptance, right? Acceptance of my body. This is how my body is meant to be. Acceptance of the fact that I need to eat in order to survive. Acceptance and, and love. Like how, how does one learn to love and accept themselves? And that's a loaded question, but yeah. how can you yeah. start? It It's first of all, believing that you deserve it. It has to start there. And baby steps. Again, it goes back to why. Why and when did you stop loving yourself? What was going on in your life when you stopped loving yourself? What was going on when you realized, hey, you know, if I stop eating breakfast, then I'm not going to be hungry for lunch. And if I'm not hungry for lunch, I'm going to start dropping the pounds that I need to feel better about myself. Or having when what was going on in your life when you realize that, you know what, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to sit, come home from work and I'm just going to lose myself in a container of ice cream and I'm going to follow it with a box of cookies and wash it down with a few glasses of wine. What was going on when this behavior evolved? How is it serving you? And the ultimate goal is to say goodbye to your eating disorder, your disordered eating for good by telling it, thank you for your service. You're no longer needed. And I love how you said, thank you for your service. Why? It put you through discomfort. It put you through hell maybe, but you might've grown and transformed your entire being. And, and it, it served a purpose at the time of protecting you from what you really couldn't deal with then. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing we need to realize that we do the best we could do at the time. It yeah. might not be best for us in the long run, but in the given moment, that's the best we can do. And you have to show yourself love for that because that's that is the best you could have done during that time. And you also kept mentioning the word deprived. It translates into depriving yourself from something in life. What's really interesting is when people go through weight loss journeys, your body can get very stressed because you're not feeding it. Your body's in a fight or flight mode and it's going to actually do the opposite and store fat. Have you ever seen success in people going through these deprivations and calorie counting? What have you seen that has been more the most successful? And, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to be healthy. I want to drop pounds, but I can't keep living this deprivation. My clients who experience weight loss, 
do so most successfully, most sustainably when they stop dieting. When they eat food that is nutrient dense, they eat three meals, they stop grazing. Because when they're feeding their bodies and their minds appropriately, they stop thinking about food all the time. And they can let go of the compensatory behaviors and they can be in a more relaxed state. Um, I do have to say that if clients come to me for the purpose of weight loss, I do not accept them as clients unless they're willing to look at why the weight is there in the first place. I do not put people on diets. I help people figure out what food serves them the best, but I do not promote any one way of eating. I do not believe one size fits all. I do not believe all foods fit. I believe that everybody has to eat according to their inner environment. Functional nutrition speaks to not only what you're eating, but what your body is doing with what you're eating. How is it breaking it down? What's going on in your immune system? What's going on in your gut? What has your past behavior with food done to your microbiome? How are your hunger hormones fu functioning? Yes. So it's very, very multifaceted. I, I love your focus because I do think that's the foundations. If you want to lose weight, people are striving so much for this weight loss journey, whether it's in the gym or in the kitchen, it really starts in the mind. Yeah. My, you know, I, I like working in frameworks and the framework behind my practice is three pronged. So the first is to clear the muddy waters, clear the clutter. Now, some functional medicine practices would look at that as offering an elimination diet, you know, clear away inflammatory foods. My work starts with clearing away inflammatory thoughts and beliefs and, and mindset. Unless there is a glaring issue with digestion or, you know, health issue that needs to have specific um, food sensitivities addressed. But otherwise, we start with, as I said, story. The second part of the framework is moving from deficiency to sufficiency. Now, yes, nutritionally, where are you nutritionally deficient? But where are you deficient in your life? How are you sleeping? How are you moving? What are your relationships like? How's your stress and resilience? How's your hydration? Right? Dehydration is, is key. Are you pooping every day? I mean, these are things that really need to come into play when you're thinking about lifestyle practice. And then finally, it's the toolbox, right? We don't get to set up the tools and strategies until we can address those first two tiers. I know you talk a lot about the gut brain connection and how you can heal your gut and detox your mind. And a lot of times I, you know, whether it's IBS or ulcerative colitis and so many more SIBO where people are going through these different gut issues. I do think that stress anxiety is only going to add to that and make it even more severe. So in terms of, you know, the gut brain connection and how that really could, can make a huge impact on how you're feeling internally in your gut. Tell me a little bit about how you've studied and practiced this connection. 
with uh, the mind and your stomach. Well, there's a lot of science to it, right? The, the, the gut is known as the second brain, right? The trillions and trillions and trillions of nerve endings and bacteria that are involved. Um, but actually the gut sends more breath messages to the brain than the brain sends to the gut. And again, it's very bio-individual. And everybody's microbiome, the environment within as, is as unique as their fingerprint. So again, the symptoms are messages that are calling for attention. Um, but it starts with how we're eating. Are you eating in a relaxed state? How well are you chewing? Breath work is very important. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with the, the polyvagal theory of activating the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body. It goes in the brain, innervates every organ. So we want to activate the vagus nerve so that the organs are doing what they're supposed to do. And there are exercises that can aid in that. I recommend essential oils. Um, so there are so many little tools and tips that I can offer my clients, but it starts with breath work, relaxation, good chewing, and then there's sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene. There is appropriate movement, not compensatory movement to make up for something you ate. And again, where the individual is deficient. How, in terms of the, the breathing, like what are some exercises that people can do when they have anxiety or they feel those emotions and it's in your gut and you're trying to work through that mind and the gut connection to let it go away? So you said breathing. Can you be a little bit more specific if you were kind of taking me through it? Yeah, um, there's a wonderful exercise where you put your hands on your heart and you really want to practice heart-centered breathing, you know, and, and you can even affect your heart rate variability by doing this. And if just for 20 seconds, you can connect and embrace a memory, something, someone that makes you feel full, you know, really where you can be present with that experience and breathe into it, breathe into your heart by embracing that memory. It's amazing how peaceful and grounded you can become. If that doesn't work, there's another very wonderful um, grounding exercise. It's actually in my book and it's in my online course, where is you sit, really feel grounded. If you're sitting in a chair, feel the chair beneath you. If you're lying on the ground, feel the earth beneath you and really feel planted. And again, I like putting your hands on your heart, the other hands on your belly and exhale fully. Breathe in for a count of four, hold it for a count of seven and exhale for the count of eight and do it for a minimum of three times. I can't wait to try that exercise. And thank you for taking us through that because I think even if people have a healthy relationship with food, I think that gut brain connection is so intense. It's so strong, whether if you're going through anything, it could be have nothing to do with food. I think this is a great exercise for people to just get themselves through any anxiety that they feel in their gut. You know, it's all about being grounded. You know, we, we mm -hmm. talked earlier about uh, the connection to the wisdom of your body. 
So whether you're dealing with a challenging relationship with food, a challenging relationship with alcohol, a challenging relationship with shopping, a challenging relationship <laughs> with partner, you know, it's important to, to feel grounded and find a part of yourself where you can always come home to, referred to as a sacred space of solitude, where it's just you. You know, it's the one thing to be by yourself. It's another thing to be with yourself. And when you say sacred space, is it an environment you're in or it's just more of a feeling? No, it's an inner environment, totally connected to the deepest part of yourself. It's a soulful connection. You also speak so much about the power of a soul-driven abundance mindset. Going off of that, what do you mean by that? A mindset of abundance is one where there are healthy boundaries. There's gratitude for what you are, not what you're not. It's, it's having awareness. It's connected to yourself. The opposite of that is the mindset of scarcity, where you are constantly thinking that something outside of yourself is what's needed. There are no healthy boundaries. You're not comfortable saying no. And it's all about lack, what you're not, what you don't have. And it's impossible to connect to that soulful, deepest sense of self when you're in that mindset of scarcity. So going off of that abundance mindset, how can you create that in your inner environment and external environment? First, by believing you deserve it. Understanding why you didn't have it. And wanting it so badly that you believe that you can make it happen. People might be listening and, and kind of saying, why are we talking about the gut? Why are we talking about the mind and abundance and all these things? Why aren't we talking about food? And it's not about food. That is what's hiding everything underneath. It's the food, the scale, the workout, the social yeah. media, the connecting to things outside of ourselves in order to feel connected. Right. I, I often say we are a society of comparison rather than connection. Mm -hmm. So whether we are searching for that next quick fix or the piece of jewelry, piece of clothing, the car, whatever it is that makes us feel valued. It's got to come from within. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a belief that it's a birthright. For anyone going through difficulties in their journeys right now, what would be your top three pieces of advice for them to either start their day or an action that they can do before the practice of eating? Start your day with gratitude. And even if you believe that you don't have anything to be grateful for, find gratitude for the act of gratitude. I love the safety exercise. What I'm going to do today to feel safe. And always start the day with that breath work. I do it every morning when I wake up. There are days that I wake up, I'm feeling a little anxious about the day ahead for whatever reason. I always put my hand on my heart and I practice heart-centered breathing. And it grounds me. It energizes me. And I guess even the act of putting my hand on my heart connects me to myself. And you have a book, which 
I'm going to order and so excited to read. It's called The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do For You. Tell me about this book of yours. Yeah, so um, the book outlines my seven steps to food freedom. And they really happened organically. And, and as it turns out, they're an acronym for freedom. So the first step is find your enough, face your feelings, feel the love. Second step is rest and digest. Actually, in the book, it's relax because I wrote the book before I was certified in functional medicine. So my online self-study course is more of a functional medicine spin on it. So it's rest and digest. The third step is eat when you're hungry, stop when you're not. The fourth step is eat mindfully. Fifth step is do something every day to make your body feel alive. So that speaks to honoring your body with movement as opposed to punishing it with exercise designed to make it go away. Only eat whole foods as often as you can and make sure you surround yourself with what truly nourishes because what truly nourishes us, we're never going to find in the kitchen. So those are my seven steps and the book and the course have action steps and journal questions and um, every step starts with an anecdotal story of my own insanity and what it was like for me through the decades of my life where I was truly challenged with every disordered eating behavior you can think of and um, then goes into the science and the tools that I developed and rely on every day to embrace my recovery. How can people get your book? Uh, it's on Amazon, The Freedom Promise. Um, and then if they're interested in my online self-study course, they can find that on my website, um, on the Work With Me page, thefreedompromise.com, Work With Me. And uh, or they can reach out to me, Mindy, at thefreedompromise.com to find out more about how they can be supported. I want to ask you my last question at Fit Food Junkies. Our motto is addicted to health. What are you addicted to? What am I addicted to? I worked very hard to get rid of a lot of addictions. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting about why I made that my slogan is yeah. I used to be addicted in a very negative way yeah, to exercise, to food. And now I've changed it into a healthy addiction. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of like a double entendre with that. It is. It's great. You know what? I'm addicted to my truth. And for me, the truth is that transformation, which is an internal shift, is less about what we do to change and more about what we let go of in order to become the change. So I'm addicted to letting go of everything that no longer serves me. I love your addiction. Makes me so happy. Mindy, thank you so much. Check her out. Connect with her. Thank you for your inspiration and such a beautiful, enlightened conversation that I will take with me forever and use actions that I will do every single day. The gratitude, the self-love, and so much more. Mindy, thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. It really has been fun. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you got so much out of this episode. Even if you learned one hack that you can utilize this week, I challenge you to do so. Also, Mindy is the author of The Freedom Promise, seven steps to stop fearing what food will do to you and start embracing what it can do 
for you. If you have any interest in learning more or are in the process of recovering, or maybe you are going through some really difficult challenges with your relationship with food, I can't recommend this book enough. Check it out. I want to give a shout out to LSKD, one of my favorite workout apparel brands. They're an Australian owned and operated brand that prides itself in producing the highest quality functional sportswear with a street aesthetic. I'm obsessed with the blue shorts I just got. I've been wearing them all the time and I got them in more colors too. Make sure you use my discount code. It's FitFoodJunkie10. That's F-I-T-F-O-O-D-J-U-N-K-I-E-10. I am so excited that you are joining the Fit Food Junkies journey with me.